Welcome to episode 19 of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer Podcast. I'm Jeff Brownson. And I'm Derek Dye, and together we're drinking our way through this amazing world one pint at a time. Whether you love to travel, you love a cold local beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. Our guest today is Dustin Waller. Dustin is a good friend of ours who loves beer and travel almost as much as Jeff and I do. He also runs a YouTube channel where he teaches people about credit cards, travel rewards, and personal finance. Dustin seems like the perfect guest for this podcast, doesn't he? Before we get to that interview, though, let's take a minute to thank our regular listeners. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything we have coming down the line. And now let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy our chat with Dustin Waller. Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Miles and Pints. We have a great guest with us today. I've got Derek Dye with me, as always, as a co-host. How you doing, Derek? I'm good. How you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic, and we have a fun beer-drinking traveler with us today, and that is Dustin Waller from Waller's Wallet. Welcome to the show, Dustin. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. A, a beer-drinking traveler. Sounds like that'd be perfect for this show. Good, hey. good call, Jeff, with the uh, guest selection. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason we uh, tapped him to come on the show and uh, chat with us today, because I know that he loves travel. I know that he loves beer. He does, uh, in his professional life, works around points and credit cards and finance, and he's everything that we're about and would be happy to have a couple of beers with us while we record. So let's get right to that and, and start off with what we're drinking I got a sneak peek at what Dustin has, but Dustin, why don't you tell our listeners what you've got going there tonight? Yeah, I'm drinking uh, Fogtown. It's a local main beer out of Ellsworth. It is a toasted coconut cream porter. I'm a dark beer fan myself, so porters and stouts are like high up on my list. So this one's fantastic. It sounds really good. That sounds like the perfect dessert beer, and we're recording in the evening here. I just had dinner with the family, so I'm a little jealous of that one. It's good. When you when you come up to Maine, I'll make sure to take you over to get some. Fantastic. And Derek, what have you got tonight? I'm drinking a Ocelot Ebenezer IPA. Uh, Ocelot is near Dulles. If anyone has a long layover at Dulles Airport, it's just a few miles away in Jeff's uh, part of Virginia. I, I think you've had an opportunity to go there and drink some beer, right, Jeff? Yeah, I think it was uh, just this last weekend with you, in fact. Oh, that's right. Yes, and yeah. we had a lot of fun. What do you have yeah. tonight, Jeff? Uh, I've got uh, another one from Aslan Beer Company out of Alexandria. I picked up a few last time I was down there, so I'm going through those in the fridge. But this is their Ticklish and Insecure, which when I showed to Dustin, he was like, yeah, that kind of describes me. So <laughs> that's <laughs> I get that, but it's a, it's a sour ale with... Uh, brewed with dragon fruit, raspberries, and vanilla. So sweet and sour and delicious and fruity. So, sounds like a Sour Patch Kid, which sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Not as much of that crumbly sugar falling off it, though. Oh, that crumbly sugar so good. All right. Now that we've got that covered, and we'll maybe we'll check back in with that if we end up on beer number two, depending on how long we go here today. But let's get into your background a little bit, Dustin. You mentioned that you're up in Maine now. Is that where you grew up or did you start out somewhere else? No, no. I'm a military brat. So I was actually, I'm from Oklahoma. 
but we I've lived in Oklahoma, I've lived in Texas. We didn't move around as much as other people, but uh, Massachusetts. And then my wife and I, we had a house in Manchester, New Hampshire, uh, where we lived for six years. I went to grad school there as well. And then four years ago, about four years ago, we moved up to Maine uh, to be closer to her family. And you're decently far up in Maine or you're still kind of coastal, but the coast goes all the way up there, right? Uh, Bangor's more central. I, I always used to joke with her ba- saying she was basically a Canadian resident because above Bangor, there's really not a whole lot going on there. Uh, so we're, we're central, but I definitely say it's basically bordering on Canada, which isn't actually accurate. So there's a lot, a lot of land, but not that many people north yeah. of you before you get to Canada Yeah, where they won't let you in. They won't let me in. No, no one will let me in right now. Right. <laughs> so for those of us that are geographically challenged, how far of a drive is, is Bangor from Boston? Uh, about four hours. Cool. Yeah. That's not too bad. It's a straight shot from Boston too. Um, and once you get past Portland, it's like, you can go like 75 or 80 on the highway with no issues. But in my experience, there's very few reasons to go past Portland. I mean, you just get to Portland and stop and then drink until you can't safely drive anymore. I wouldn't disagree with you. I know Acadia is nice and you can go up to like what Mount Katahdin, which is north of Bangor, <laughs> right. but very few reasons to come this far north. I'm just kidding all you Maine <laughs> folks. I love all of Maine, but yeah, Portland obviously for us beer lovers is great and it holds Portland holds a special place in my heart. I will say Bangor has a great beer scene, which is shocking to me. We have a lot of different micro craft breweries in the area, a lot of great local beer. So pretty much anytime you want to go out, there's always something good going on for beer. That makes me kind of excited because I'll, we'll talk a little bit about it later on, but I'm going to end up there in another month or two. Um, for a night. So I'm excited to check out the beer scene there with you, Dustin. Yes. I don't think you'll be disappointed. No, that doesn't sound like it. So before uh, we get into the the brunt of what you're doing now professionally, let's talk about your background because it's very different than what you're doing now. So I want people to <laughs> kind of know about this yes. and realize that anyone can end up doing YouTube about credit cards and finance. Yeah. So what what's your degree and what did you start out doing? So I actually have a pharmacy degree. I have a doctorate of pharmacy. I was a pharmacist for, I think, six years, five or six years before I decided to sidestep that. Um, really wasn't too happy in, in doing it. Um, my wife and I, we paid off our student loans. We made that a big priority, paid off about $300,000 in about five years. But that gave us the freedom for me to stay at home with our two kids um, that we have now. And because of that. And I was trying to pursue this YouTube dream or goal of being, you know, um, being YouTube famous. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to say it's YouTube famous. I just wanted to give a different avenue for people to learn how to use their points and miles and just finances in general, you know, over the last couple of years, YouTube's become more saturated, but you know, blogging, I, I was never a great writer. <laughs> so, and it's taken me time, but I've gotten more comfortable on camera as a whole. So yeah, pharmacy beforehand, but now I stay at home with two kids and do YouTube videos. And during pharmacy life, were you at a uh, small local place or were you at a large national chain? I've actually done a lot of different places. So I was, I worked for a, I actually worked for a large chain early on. Then I worked for an an independent pharmacy, which was fantastic. They just treated you so great. Uh, But my ultimate goal is inpatient in a hospital setting which I got that opportunity to work at a small critical access hospital, which 
small, but you had more ability to do things you wanted to. And then when we moved to Maine, I gave a short stint at a large hospital, which everything was so black and white. And I didn't like the ability not to free think. And I didn't like being told what I had to do in the sense of thinking wise. Um, and then I managed a long-term care pharmacy for a, they became a chain because they bought another pharmacy. So I've done quite the gauntlet within pharmacy trying to, I guess, find my way. And is that what your wife does also, or did I make that up in my head? Nope. My wife's a pharmacist as well. She works for um, a, a bigger chain company and she's been with them ever since she started and she loves it. Did you meet in pharmacy school or did it just so happen that you were both pharmacists? No, no. We met in pharmacy school. I was getting ready to graduate and she had just started. And we met when she re- had just moved down to, to Manchester, New Hampshire. So we started talking and I mean, we pretty much been together since we met and then got married a few years later. Well, that's a cool background. And it's nice that you guys were able to uh, save enough money to get rid of that debt and be able to have the freedom to let you pursue one of your passions while you stayed home and take care of the kids. You have two young kids, right? Yes, I have a two-year-old and a seven-month-old, and both are super happy kids. My two-year-old is he's he's got the two-year you know, the, the the terrible twos into him, but he's also got like these sweet moments where you're just like, wow, that is that's a good kid. Yeah, you'll have both of those kind of moments all the way up. I've my my one son is a senior now, and I still have those moments like, "Oh, that's a good kid." Or, no, that's a terrible kid. That's a terrible... <laughs> when's when's he moving out to college? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, who knows at this point? Hopefully next fall. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. He'll pay full tuition price to still be living at home doing online courses. Yeah, I mean, we've got the space. It's yeah. it would be a big change from what we're doing now. So, right. Now you've done something I, I saw on your social media the other day that in light of the need for people giving vaccines and your skill in the medical arena, you have kind of put yourself back out there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we, I mean, I think everyone knows about COVID-19, right? And the fact yeah. that we're trying, yeah, I think so. I don't know if you've heard about it, but uh, pretty, pretty bad. Um, so I mean, there's a need for people to help immunize people as a whole and pharmacists can do that. And I've been out of pharmacy for about a year and a half as a whole. And I let my, um, I hadn't been immunizing people for years because I was inpatient. So I didn't need to in a hospital setting. So I went through and I got my certification back up to speed with the state of Maine. And now I'm, a, now I'm you know, good to administer again. So a person I graduated with in pharmacy school actually manages a pharmacy up here in the area. And he was a buddy of mine and he was looking for pharmacists to immunize. So you know, if I can help try to get this all behind us as a whole, and I can make it work with my schedule and whatnot, then why wouldn't I do it? You know, I have a skill set that allows me to do it. I'm sitting at home with the kids, so I can take a couple days a week and do that. And every shot gets us closer to being able to resume to what is a normal, what I would consider normal life again. So um, it just seemed like a good opportunity to get back into it to really try to make a difference. And that's a great way for you to step up and help the people around you. And I think uh, you said either today or yesterday or somewhere in here, you actually got the first shot of your vaccine. So that's exciting for you, I'm sure. Yeah, I got it today. Actually, today I got it. So I'm really excited about that. One, for myself, because it will allow me more freedom. But two, it makes sense in the sense if I'm going to be around people who could, you know, potentially have COVID or have other symptoms of things, I need to protect myself as well. So it was a nice benefit to get it earlier on because 
I'm in my thirties. I'm, I'm like at the end of the list beforehand. So, um, but I'm just happy to try to move this beyond us, you know? And for all of our listeners who can't see Dustin on video, we're recording this with video. He still looks like a normal human. No extra ears, <laughs> no extra eyes, nose, no extra arms or legs. It seems like you're okay after shot. I was one. flying today. I was actually able to do like an eye, like Superman flight. I just flew around the area, came back home. First time in fly, I've flown in over a year. So it felt really good. Perfect. Perfect. You also got one of those special vaccines. Yeah, I think one of those uh, Bill Gates vaccines, right? Or yeah, Bill Gates vaccines. <laughs> You got the flying microchip, I think. That yeah. 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 All right. Let's transition after that ridiculousness um, into uh, what you're doing now, which we've hinted at a couple of times and mentioned, and that is Waller's Wallet. Yes. Tell us what that is and why it exists. Yeah. So Waller's Wallet is my YouTube channel. It was, you know, my website. It's pretty much, I guess, my brand, if you will, where... I just try to help people use the credit cards they have or try to educate people on credit cards and try to show them how to use their credit cards for daily expenses to earn rewards and how they can travel for less. And because I always got the questions, I'm sure you guys got these too. You know, what what's the best credit card? How do I travel? Mean, you're traveling all the time. How are you affording this? And so you just tell them like, if you use X, Y, and Z, pay them off in full, then you can do these things. And for us, I mean, we've been traveling for five or six years, minus 2020, at, on roughly anywhere from six to 12 times a year, all on points. And it's been a fraction of the cost. So, I mean, we had one year where we were literally traveling every month, anywhere from four days to two weeks. And it was fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I just, that, that's all the Waller's all it is, just trying to educate people on how to finances, credit cards, and travel. And you mentioned earlier that there was a time in your life a few years ago where you transitioned from being a pharmacist into your living your YouTube dream, I think you said. Yeah. What what led you to make that major life change? Uh, what led to the dream of YouTube? And was YouTube the original idea? No, YouTube was not the original idea. Um, I, I like creating content in whatever capacity it may be. So for me, I actually, Waller's Wallet started off as a blog. And I was blogging about, I think in 2015, I started 2014, 2015, just general credit card reviews. These are the points. How do you use them? And I really just found that the blogging arena, if you will, was really oversaturated. And I brought nothing truly different to that arena. And I wasn't a great SEO writer. Like I didn't have great SEO. So, and I still don't have great SEO for writing. So for me, it was kind of, it was difficult to move the needle. And then I started doing like video consults with people, friends and families, just to kind of get an idea. And one of our friends said, you know what, you should try YouTube. And I was like, you are absolutely insane. I know abs I know nothing about video. I don't edit, none of it. So he's like, just think about it. And it's terrifying if you know nothing about it and you have to try and get into that. Even just thinking about it is is a scary, scary thing for most people. Oh, it's totally scary. I mean it's one thing to put yourself out there, I think, in a blog post, right? Because it's it's writing. But to put yourself in front of the camera and people see you and they hear you, is it's a it's different. And I think that's what's really hard. So and that's and that's really where it came from. But as I started doing YouTube, I started realizing how much I really enjoyed it. And I wanted to do it more. And I just figured that every and I realized every time I was at work as a you know in pharmacy, I wanted to make more videos. I couldn't really think about pharmacy stuff. I was wanting to make the next video to try to 
grow this channel and make it into something more. And it's really interesting how you how you uh, really start talking about YouTube as an as another way to express your content creating mindset when you're not really comfortable writing, don't really enjoy it. It's the same way for readers, I think. Right, the award space has a, a lot of blogs, mine included. Yours um, was there also. Our readers are basically forced to read blogs rather than do anything else. And a lot of people don't learn from reading. They learn right. from seeing or learn from doing. And really, our blog, uh, reading a blog doesn't help either of those people. So I think you did find your own niche, and it's really helping a lot of people who are those visual learners and need to see it uh, and see you talk about it rather than read it. Yeah, I think there is a, definitely a subset of people who want to see those videos of how do I go through and use United Miles? How do I actually book the excursionist perk? And I have a small set of people who really do enjoy those video topics so that they can understand it. Because most, I mean, realistically, just what I've come to realize, most people aren't using Etihad Miles to book AA flights on these crazy routes. Most of them are looking at how can they use United Miles, maybe American Airline Miles to fly like Q Suites or something. And they're, it's, more basic intermediate. They're not going through these hoops to do it. It's a very, very small subset. So if you can teach them the upper basics of things, I guess I would call it, you're hitting like 85 to 90% of most people's questions. And that, that's enjoyable. I think that's a good point that you're making there. And we get caught up in that. And Derek and I are victims of it. And I'm sure you're a victim of it. And anyone who reads in this space is you read and you get really excited about these crazy redemptions using these strange programs. And you think to yourself, well, how can I get 260,000 Asiana miles and, or something like that. And our, our minds go that way, but a lot of people don't think like that. No, so much more reasonable for, to show the larger portion of people what they want. And I think that's a big thing that I've heard about YouTube or about content in general is, don't make the content that you want to make, make the content that the people want to see. And just listening to what you've said there, I think you've really hit on that and, and what's important to a majority of the people who will be viewing your content. It's funny because I've asked multiple times as the audience has grown, like, how do you fly? Business class, coach, first class, you know, standing room only. And about like 65 to 70% of the audience flies coach. So it's great to hear about these aspirational awards to the Maldives, right? Because you're not a true points and miles person if you haven't flown, you know, first class to the Maldives. But that's such a small subset of people. Most people I've come to realize just want to go on their two to three weeks of vacation a year somewhere new. And they want to do it for the least amount of possible. Maybe they're flying by themselves with a spouse, seeing so another family of four or five. So you know, as it looks great to have these awesome premium cabin options, just from my experience and my audience, that's just not the norm for them. So to showcase Q suites all the time is really not feasible for most people. I've always thought it would be interesting to take the data, if it were possible to compile amongst all of the groups, all of the blogs and everything, and really break down the numbers. My guess is, uh, you know, my calculated guess is that a majority of award travelers never do anything more than book through a portal. If it's the Chase portal or the Amex portal, 
So if that's a majority, let's say, a, a, a much smaller portion, maybe another 25% will transfer to partners. But yeah. then to get to this level where you not only transfer to a partner, but you tran- you know, you transfer to a credit card partner to book a different airline or then take it a step further and transfer it to a different airline that's cheaper than the familiar, you know, American airline uh, right. that we're all familiar with. There's so many levels there. You're getting incrementally smaller in the percentage of our readers and listeners that do that to, you know, once you get to that, you know, flying Q suites uh, to the Maldives, you're talking about a very, very, very small subset of, of readers. Absolutely. And just from what I've seen, most people, especially with relatively cheap coach flights, they're turning to the Chase travel portal with their Sapphire reserve at 1.5 cents per point. I mean, the earning miles, it's costing them fewer miles and it saves them time. And I think that's what I've come to realize is that there's that time value equation, I guess, you know, the scales. Is it really worth for someone to spend two extra hours booking this flight for 5,000 miles when they have other things going on in their life? Like, it sounds great to say, like, you can call these airlines and spend two hours on the phone with, you know, Cathay Pacific, but most people are, in my experience, just aren't going to do that. And it's not just time that you're talking about. It's the frustration level too. (laughs) Absolutely. If you've ever called the, I guess the customer service, which is a stretch of a term for Avianca, for example, that's, I mean, it's just an exercise in futility most of the time. And there are other airlines that it's the same way, or you might wait on hold for three hours. I think uh, Spencer the other day said that uh, he got on hold with Egypt Air and went into an entire workout at the gym and came back an hour later and he was still on hold. I so. saw his Instagram post. He had like 59 minutes or 58 minutes of, of hold yeah. time. And he hadn't even talked to a person yet. So, pe- I mean, people don't want to deal with that kind of thing. It's funny you mentioned um, Avianca because I had a buddy of mine who was looking to go to South Korea. And I was like, dude, you have enough miles. He's like, I want." he didn't want to fly in coach for that long. I'm like, okay, you got to fly from... Boston, I think, to New York in coach, and then from New York to Seoul in business class. Do it. Like, it's not, and the way Avianca prices out, it was worth it. But on the flight home, he kept getting this air. Like, he had enough miles. We couldn't get it to book. So he called like five or six times, sent like four or five emails, and come to find out what he was told multiple times was that he wasn't able to book a round trip ticket with mixed class availability. It just wouldn't price. They just couldn't book it for him. I'm like, that sounded odd to me, but legitimately. So he flew the whole time, flew the whole thing in coach. <laughs> yeah, that's one problem. And I love Avianca and I love Life Miles and I accrue them like crazy. I have the mm-hmm. I have the card and I use it for grocery spend. But if the website won't book it, you're totally screwed. They're not they're not booking it for you. <laughs> Sorry, they have no idea. The website can't do it. They can't do it. Have right. a good night. My favorite story from that was when I was trying to book my Greece trip that didn't end up happening last year. So I've got uh, 130,000 or something of their miles sitting there, hoping that they don't go bankrupt. But um, they couldn't book it because I was booking on Turkish. So it was going through Istanbul, but going back to Greece, which they consider Europe. So the website couldn't book it because it didn't know what to do. And then I called them and they're like, well, if the website can't do it, we can't do it. And they're like, you have to email support. So I emailed support and said, hey, I want to book this. And they, can you tell me how much it will cost? Because in my head, looking at their charts, it should cost this, 40000 per person. 
and they were telling me they didn't know. Nobody could tell me what it would cost. And then support responded and they said, we can take a look at it and get you the pricing, but you have to have for at least, I don't remember if it was 40 or 60% of the miles you need in your account. And I hadn't, I was working on a credit card spin at that time, so it hadn't hit yet. So I had not it. And I said, we'll say it's 40%. I said, 40% of what? I'm trying to find out how much it costs. And they said, we can't tell you that until you have 40% in your account. And I was like, but. <laughs> you're missing two value. You're missing two variables of the equation here. Come on, guys, help me out. I actually wrote an email back at one point and said, okay, I think it will cost 100 miles per person. <laughs> I have. Yeah, I have 40 miles in my account. Will you give me the price now? And they're like, that's not what it will cost. I was like, what will it cost? And they're like, you have to have 40%. Like, oh. Just transfer all your points over and they'll be like, you know what? It's not enough yet. Keep transferring more. It made me crazy. And then I finally got it booked. They finally booked it for me. Um, and then I had to cancel it because I couldn't. So one thing I've noticed, and it's made me not want to book Avianca Mile or Avianca Flights went with my kids is one, I can't find an award price for kids. And I've seen just horror stories of trying to book flights with kids. So for lap and fence as a whole. So I have, but I have like 63,000 enough for like a business class flight over to Europe. And my wife has like 67,000. We have a couple solo trips we're looking to plan later this year. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to burn them for a business class flight because one, I just need to get rid of them. And two, like, I just can't use them for family travel in their current capacity. So I was reading on a Reddit forum trying to figure it out. They're like, you need to contact the airline you're going to be flying to add the lap infant. These people would contact them and like, no, no, you're booking Avianca. Talk to Avianca. We have nothing to do with this. Now Avianca's like, we can't help you. No, we don't know. Not us. So I was like, I, that makes me absolutely not want to book them with kids at all. <laughs> And going back to the earlier point, again, these are, for us experienced award travelers, been doing this for five years and we're knee deep in credit cards and we love the game and it's become a part of our life. That It's frustrating, but it's okay to go through that because we know we're getting a good deal. Absolutely. If you're, if you're booking your first or second <laughs> award flight, come on, really? You probably, you probably don't even know what Avianca or Life Miles are much less wait you're saying i have to call and then if they don't know what to do i have to email them and then wait for seven days to get a response and then transfer miles and call back come on the average person isn't going to do that that would be the last award booking they would attempt it'd be like this is not worth my time and you have to feel bad for the person who reads on a blog about the wonderful trip they used they booked using their life miles and they just did this and that and they transfer miles over there and then experience what we're talking about here and that's just well that's the thing too with with i guess content creation in general most people don't want to showcase the the tr the troubles or the downside of the things it's only how i booked it's only the the good things right like it's only how i booked that you know etihad first class flight or whatever residence is to do it no one wants to talk about i mean who was it i think it was richard kerr i saw on twitter has fought for like six months to get back his miles for some cancellations like that's the stuff nobody wants to, to you know to really talk about in in here because like that just makes it so much more time consuming for people as a whole so to get back on track with your youtube channel and the videos yeah. you you started the blog to talk about credit cards and using miles and that kind of thing. And that's what you originally started doing videos. And most of your video content is that kind of a topic, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's what I do. That's what I've done for most of my content. Yeah. 
and you recently have started making a little bit of a shift to add in some more financial project products or finance, which really when it, I mean, if you look at, if you're doing credit cards already, it makes sense that you are a finance YouTuber, mm-hmm. but what made you decide to do that? And how do you gain that knowledge or how are you making sure you're putting out the best information for people on that spectrum? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I kind of felt like it was time to expand. I've been doing credit cards content for multiple years. I kind of felt like at some point to kind of hit a wall with audience growth and just, and then eventually you don't run out of content, but I mean, how many times can you really update the best gas credit card for 2020, 2021? And there's really not a whole lot of changes going on. So it was, I felt like it was time to expand one for my own knowledge base. Cause I enjoy learning about, you know, finance related topics, but two, I've, I've been asked to like, were, were, was I ever going to expand? And I just felt like it was a good time to do that because I have 500 videos of credit card related topics. It was just time to make that leap to see expand to a larger audience because credit card information is very niche and there's nothing wrong with that. And I I love credit card points and miles and I'll use them for many, many years to come. But I wanted to expand the channel out to try to reach a larger audience. Um, And interestingly enough, my current credit card audience has very little interest in learning about the finance topics I'm talking about, which I would have thought they went hand in hand, just like you mentioned, Jeff, but it is a very, very low overlap just from what I'm doing. So either A, my content sucks, or uh, they're just not interested in it. Well, hopefully it's not uh, (laughs) the first one of those. And I don't, I mean, judging by what I've seen of your videos and what I've seen of your videos in the past, I don't think it's that your content sucks. I think it's just that a lot of those people are probably have come in from the miles and points and travel world looking for that kind of thing and looking at how they can travel mm-hmm. and they're not as concerned with how they can build up a net worth or how they can, what IRA they should pick and that kind of thing, which they probably should be concerned with. Really, everyone should be concerned with if you right. want to be financially secure in your future. But a lot of people look at the now, 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 and I want to travel and I want to do this. And that's what I'm going to spend my time on, which you can't fault them because getting on no. one of those planes and going to the Maldives is lovely. It's great. Yeah, totally. And, and as far as, you know, how am I doing this? Like, I dive down rabbit holes and I, that's how I do it with points is I would take a topic and I would just start diving down it. And so, you know, am I learning? Absolutely. I'm learning. I'd be a fool to say, no, I know everything finance related. I take a topic I'm interested in and I research, I watch videos, I read blog articles, I read articles as a whole, and I learn that information, make an opinion for myself, and then I make a video on it. And I think that's just, I mean, that's how I started off with blogging too. I knew a certain level of information, definitely know way more now than when I started. And then you build on that. So are my first finance videos going to be my best? Probably not. You know what I mean? But I feel like I have a good understanding of the information I'm putting out to where I'm confident what I'm putting out. I'm not just like, well, this seems like it's okay. Uh, Because you don't want to be that person that puts out bad information or bad content because it only takes one time for your audience not to trust you. And I don't want that. So audience trust is a big thing for me. And it really is amazing, the overlap. And a lot of people, as you alluded to, uh, some of your credit card viewers currently, don't really seem to initially get the overlap between credit card and credit card rewards and personal finance. You can really take that next step and credit card rewards can become a day-to-day driver 
of your personal finance, be it funding rental properties and trying to, you know, to go fire of some kind or funding retirement accounts or supplementing uh, your monthly budget, what have you. Talking about that, those percentages of award travelers, a very small subset of, of our inner circle has figured out how to really um, add to their bottom line on an annual basis through credit card rewards. Absolutely. And I don't think people think of it that way. I do. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and as myself, I didn't think about that for a long time. I would always keep my points as far as, okay, this is going to be for this trip. This is going to be for that trip. But 2020 really shifted things for me personally. Troy had so many extra points and miles that I, I was looking at my point totals and how my wife and I travel. I didn't have point totals for like three plus years because 2020 travel never happened. So I took some of my my miles. I've got a new card. I basically cashed out some to fund a retirement account. So because based on the projections of how that should grow based on historical returns, it's going to turn into over a year plus retirement salary for me and my wife. So why would I not do that or want to learn about that? Especially if you have the ability to earn those points back. Because like you said, you're not traveling this year, but that doesn't necessarily mean it shut down your ability to earn points. Absolutely. So you you can still earn the points. You earn them once, you can earn them again, unless you were, it was some crazy promotion. But it's, I mean, you can't survive on that alone in the points world. You have to have sustainable ways to earn points. And if you can fund your retirement here or there, even if it's only every couple of years using your points to fund a retirement account, then that's going to make a huge difference years down the road. Absolutely. I think that's a huge thing because, for example, if you can fund your, this is going kind of slight tangent, you know, if you can fund your Roth IRA with points, well, points are considered rebates, not income. Roth IRAs grow tax-free and you withdraw tax-free. So that money is truly tax-free money. Like that is a win, win, win across the board for anyone who wants to do it. Right. And I shared off air, Dustin, before we began with you and Jeff, uh, I have a blog post coming soon. My wife and I plan to cash out almost a million uh, MX membership rewards via our Charles Schwab Platinums this week or next week. We are funding backdoor Roth accounts at $6,000 each. 100% from our membership rewards accrued in 2020 because we are not traveling. That's something we've never really done before. But yeah. like you say, it's 12000 tax-free dollars going into an account. We're both in our 30s, so it will grow tax-free for the next 20, 25 years until we touch it. It's, it's really hard to describe the uh, potential money we would have from that $12,000 in points versus what a million MRs may get us in 24 or 36 months from now, while we're still accruing more membership yeah. rewards. The discussion I get is completely different if you can't earn those points back. Yep, absolutely. Completely agree. And I think what we've hit on here is an excellent reason for you to get into the finance side of things. But not only that, but those people that listen to the podcast that have followed me or Derek in the award travel space and have not thought about the finance side of things, this is your moment. This is your time to, to start thinking about it. Uh, take a look at Dustin's channel and follow along as he ventures into the finance side of things and get yourself set up so that you're not just points rich, but you have the, the retirement funding that's going to be there for you for the long term. You can be rich, rich. 
<laughs> now, Dustin, before we move into more personal side of your life and the fun stuff, the travel, yeah. let's talk just briefly about the mechanics behind Waller's Wallet. Yeah. Uh, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about the equipment you use, how mm. long it takes to make a video, uh, how, how long it took you to get up to speed on video editing, all those fun behind the scenes details. Oh, I laugh right now because I'll never forget my wife and I. So we were right about when I was starting YouTube, we went over to the check for IVF. So I didn't have a good system in place. It took me about eight hours per video from scripting to shooting to editing. It was so bad, right? Just because it took so long. Um, but now, I mean, I can turn out a video. So I do write out a script to keep my thoughts in order especially when I'm talking numbers, I don't want to have to keep looking away and I like to keep eye contact with the camera. So it takes me anywhere from about 45 minutes to an hour to write out my script. It takes me about 25, 30 minutes to record. Editing wise, I can probably edit down a video in probably in two hours to, to its completion. So you're looking now between about four hours of video now. That doesn't include research time because some video topics don't take a lot of research. Others do. As for my, the equipment I use, I just upgraded my camera to be a Canon M6 Mark II because it records in 4K uncropped, So, which helps supposedly with the YouTube algorithm to record in 4K. Um, I actually edit and write on my iPad most of the time. Like I, My main editing software is LumaFusion, so I do it right on my iPad. Um, and then I write all my scripts basically in Google Docs and I have a teleprompter which sits right there. And I don't think you'd really know it because I've gotten better at uh, reading from a teleprompter in front of me. So all told, you just, I, I think every time I talk to you, you're buying new equipment or upgrading new equipment. Always. Like, give us a ballpark on cost when you started for the equipment you had and what you've upgraded to this point and Give us an idea if YouTube has paid for that. Or if... YouTube has actually paid for all this. Now I do make money now on YouTube. Is it a, you know life? Is it tons of money right now? No, but YouTube has definitely paid me back. So my camera and its lens, because I bought a better lens for it, it's probably eleven hundred dollars. I recorded my MacBook, or I'm sorry, my um, edit on my iPad Pro and the Magic Keyboard, which was about eleven hundred dollars. And then I've always had a MacBook, so or a MacBook Air, um, and all the other crap. I I probably record on anywhere from two to three thousand dollars worth of stuff in here with microphones and setup. Do I need that? No. Do I like it? Yes. It makes things a lot easier, and I mean, even that is not a huge number. It is for someone who is hoping to make their full income from YouTube and has no income to start, but you were in an okay position to start and mm -hmm. were able to put some money into it. And then as the channel has grown, you've put some money back into it, which is key. But every time you upgrade, things sound better, things look better, things look nicer on the channel. And I think that it's pretty easy to see with, with audio or video recording that the nicer the equipment, the the more pleasurable it's going to be for the listener or the viewer to to listen or see it. Absolutely. And I would say for anyone thinking about getting into YouTube, I know a lot of people think like, I need a good camera. Audio is so much more important. I mean, your cell phone is so great. I've, I've actually recorded. I remember when I was in Amsterdam. Yeah, it was Amsterdam. No, Brussels. 
I recorded a video on, I had a Samsung at the time. Video quality wasn't great because it was at night, it was grainy, but I made sure my audio was set up because audio is so much more important. But when I'm at home, I have my home studio. So I'll record on an iPhone, my iPhone 12. I've done that before. So someone looking to get into it, definitely audio. Like first first purchase should definitely be audio. I record now with a um, actually a wireless mic. It's a Rode Wireless Go. And it's literally a lavalier that just looks right onto my shirt. And it's I think it was $200, but it, the sound quality is really, really good for just 200 bucks. Yeah, and they just came out with a new version of that. Have you seen that? I did. Double the capacity of the microphones, I think. I did. It's since I only shoot solo, I don't need it. But I was, I saw it and went, I need that. And then I looked into it, like, I don't need that. (laughs) And I had talked to you about it, and you were like, Oh, you should get this. And I looked at it, and I was like, No, I don't want to spend that much. I don't need that. I have microphones for the podcast. And then when the new one came out, I was like, ooh, I need that. <laughs> the same thing you did. Everything, every, anytime, I'm, I just love electronics. I mean, Apple's getting ready to launch stuff in March. You know, new MacBooks, new AirPods. I, I don't need new AirPods. They're perfectly fine. But I'm already looking at my iPad like, well, you know what? It doesn't have enough storage now to shoot 4K because 4K takes up a crap load of space. I mean, I have a 64 gigabyte um, memory card, which was good for 1080p when I shot on a Canon M50, but 4K it eats it up so fast. So I'm like, oh man, and my iPad's like 256 gigabytes, which worked when I shot in 1080p. But now for 4K, it it I'm like, oh, I got to delete this now and delete this before I can do it. So um, yeah, I'm like, I need to upgrade space. <laughs> Yeah, need is a, a maybe a strong word there. Yeah. I have a problem literally every time that uh, DJI comes out with a new version of their drones. I'm like, oh, I need that. Oh. And I don't have a drone. I've never flown a decent drone. I've flown like the ones my kids have had, little tiny things. I don't have a drone license. But when they come out with a new one, I'm like, oh, I need to get a license. I need to get this drone. I think I just told Derek this past weekend, I'm like, I need a drone for these brewery visits. Like, it's funny. Every time a new cell phone, I'm, I usually upgrade my phone usually once a year. I had the 11 Pro. And I'm like, I'm not getting the 12. I have a 12 mini. I had the 12 Pro at one point, but I actually sold that because I like the mini size. Told my wife's like, I'm not going to get the 13. And I looked at it and went, who are you kidding? I'm probably getting the 13. <laughs> That's a sign, I think, of a good company, right? Even when us rational-minded people, uh, most of the time, let, let's put a qualifier on it, um, rational-minded people who are even money conscious and, and make smart financial decisions, we see a product that our brain says, I don't need that. And our brain also says, but I need that. Right. That's the sign of a good company because they just make you want their products. Absolutely. And I, for me, Apple just works. It just works. You know, I've had Google devices and Android devices and they've been hit or miss. You know, camera hasn't worked. It's flickered. It doesn't load up. It lags. So for me, that that's really important, especially like I have two young kids. I want to make sure I capture those moments with them. And when the camera doesn't load up for five minutes, like my Samsung 10S or S10e, it was such a pain in the butt to to do that. So, um, and especially as I use this for actually, I feel like professional work, I'll call it, it just needs to work. I don't want it to lag. I don't need it to, to slow up me down in my workflow. So for those, it's very important. You definitely made some good equipment choices there. I'm, And I talked to you, I'm, 
thinking of doing video and we've mentioned it a couple of times for the podcast here and we haven't quite got there yet. And I took some video up in Ellicottville, but have done absolutely nothing to edit it yet. And I'll hopefully get there. I did just put together a video today of um, a welcome back video for my wife's elementary school. We went and filmed a whole bunch of stuff yesterday and I threw it all together and she seems very happy with it. And I just keep looking at it going, well, that could be a little smoother. That could be, that could be this. So I'm, yeah. I'm definitely overly critical, which I'm sure is a problem when you get started out and you get more and more used to that as you go on. Totally. Absolutely. And one thing I did want to talk to you about is you, your YouTube channel seems to be breaking news for Chase. And you have a love-hate relationship with Chase, I think. And let's let's talk a little bit about that. You have, yeah. I don't know if it's an insider, you're clairvoyant. I don't I don't know where you get the information. I have a source. And seems to pop up on the Waller's Wallet YouTube channel before it shows up in the rest of the blogging world. So yes. tell us about that and and how what trouble that's gotten you into. <laughs> it's gotten me in quite a bit of trouble. So. I have a source. I, I won't. I won't divulge how, who, where that source is. But like, um, so I have a Chase source. My source has never been wrong. Never. I mean, I've gotten information for a long time, and early on, I would kind of keep it. But I also want to make sure it was true because if you break news on something and you're completely wrong, no one will ever listen to you again, right? Like, if you're willing to put your neck out there, you got to be right. And my source never been wrong. So. This was back when the World of Hyatt credit card, not World of Hyatt, the, the Hyatt credit card, I broke that they were going to be transitioning people to the World of Hyatt credit card. And this really pissed Chase off because this was months, months before. So I had an affiliate credit card company at the time and Chase told them he needs to cut this, like cut that from his content. It's wrong. So I was like, well, what's wrong about it, guys? Like, are the dates wrong or is the information itself actually factually incorrect? Because if it's wrong, I'll, I'll pull it. Like, I have nothing wrong with that. They said they don't care. They want it. It's gone or, you know, they're getting like, – you can't, you can't work with the affiliate anymore. So saving face, I took the content down. Like, I just cut that out from there. And YouTube takes forever to do things on their website. So it took a long time to do that. Then I pull it out and then now – Chase wants me to go through these like crazy different requirements. You need to submit any video with any Chase content for approval. You need to do, you know, numerous, numerous things. Who's your source? And I was like, yeah, I'm not giving you that information. Like, you're not, you don't think I'm that stupid, right? So they were like, I was like, let me hear the restrictions first. So they started going through these crazy restrictions. And I was like, that's not going to work for me, guys. I'm, I'm not, I'm not continuing this relationship. And I think that really took them back. Because I mean, I, I've put this in videos. My affiliate network, my affiliate income was like one to two thousand dollars a month. It wasn't like super huge money, but like it was decent money. So for them, they thought they had me to be like, I'll just do it. But the thing was like, I don't bow down to the banks like that. I've never done that. I'm never going to do that. You know what I mean? So, um, but I said I'm not continuing my relationship with you. I'm going to cut ties. And they were like, Oh. <laughs> And okay. that's not what they're used to at all. They're used no. to pushing people around any way they want and saying you have to jump through these hoops and this is what you can talk about and this is what you can't. And the thing was is I said, well, what's the time frame here? Are we talking three months? You want me to you know, submit stuff to you? Because I was willing to work with them for a little bit on stuff, right? Like I'm, I'm a reasonable person. 
And they're like, well, it could be indefinite. I'm like, you can take that and shove it. Like, I'm not going to just submit every video. Do you, I do like at the time. So realistically at the moment, there's not a whole lot of credit card content out there right now. Nothing new's coming. You know what I mean? Like not a lot has dropped over the last year because banks put stuff on hold. I mean, you as bank held their altitude go and connect for almost an extra year. Uh, PenFed held a card for a while. And then it was just mostly just updates, temporary benefits. So like a lot of, I felt like content creators in the YouTube spectrum were more roundup channels. You just had roundups. And um, so for roundups, I had a lot of chase content. I'm not going to submit stuff when it was kind of like needing to get out the door. And then they could tell me, you can't post that. I don't work that way. Never worked that way. Wasn't going to start working that way. So I was like, you can take and shove it, guys. I'm out. <laughs> and I think that's a, a great way to show how you're focused on your your viewers and your the people who are seeing your content. And it's the, I mean, kind of the polar opposite of what we've seen from some of the large blogs over the years that have just done exactly what the banks or the airlines or the hotels want them to do and and kind of jump through their hoops. I think it's it's good to see that fresh view on it that, well, it's, yeah, it's nice to work with you, but what I'm doing in my integrity is more important. So that's what I'm going to focus on. And if that means we can't work together because you don't want to, then I mean, that's your choice. Go on your own way. Yeah, absolutely. Like I wasn't, I don't think it was a huge account for them to begin with. So like, no, no, nothing was lost for them. But for me, it was a principle standpoint of I'm not going to change what I do to appease some bank. If anything, they should be happy. People are putting out the content so people know. If changes were coming, cool. Just own it. You know what I mean? Like maybe I think I got like the the dates roll out wrong or like the, inf the information I had was correct, but they rolled it out differently. So so own it, guys. Like They probably rolled it out differently so that uh, <laughs> it wouldn't match up with what you had said. In, you know, I mean, so be it. But nonetheless, when those emails came and I was like, so I, I almost, I was like, I should email them like, see, I wasn't wrong guys. But I was like, no, 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 I'll just, just let it go. It isn't going to get you anywhere. So other than breaking chase content and we've talked about the, the credit cards and the finance stuff going forward, what can we expect to see as we go on here from Waller's wallet? What can people get excited about? Why should they pop over to YouTube and hit that subscribe button right away on that? I think right now I'm trying to build up a base of generalized entry level investing information. I think that a lot of people are interested in that. You know, how can I save for retirement? Because I was looking through some articles the other day and the average person just doesn't have enough for retirement. So I would just want to educate people on it's not as difficult as it may seem to really just get started investing. So I'm trying to build out that content right now. So anybody who's been watching my channel might be like, you've really shifted. It's a temporary shift. At some point, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, couple of months, it'll be more balanced with credit card videos. I actually have a credit card video coming out in um, a couple of weeks or maybe in a week, but to be more balanced. So, and it's just to try to expand the channel. I'm one person. I shoot, record everything myself. I don't have a team of people to speed up that process for me. So going forward, they should hopefully see a balance of investing in finance topics as long as credit card and related travel. Uh, to really hit the whole gauntlet of things. And I think if that's someone thing someone really enjoys and likes and wants to learn more about, then, you know, maybe my channel is just for you. You know, travel-wise, I teach people just how to use their points. Finance-wise, I want to make sure people are set up for retirement. I don't want anybody getting to, you know, 65 and being like, 
damn, I didn't save enough. Or, you know, how do I retire early? So really that's where my focus is because I just like helping people and I like the numbers. And on the personal finance side of things, I love finance and day trading and and playing around in the stock market. And it it truly baffles me on a day-to-day basis when I talk to people that don't understand compounding interest. So I, and I'm sure you, you deal with this a lot also. If you don't understand compounding interest, do yourself a favor, learn all about that that you can right now and let it go to work for you. And you can go over to Waller's wallet and get some good content on that issue. Cause I'm sure you've talked about it. I have, and there'll be a few more videos coming up in the coming weeks about how I plan to use actually my points to compound money into retirement for me and my wife. So now that we've talked all about Waller's wallet and what you're doing on that front, um, hopefully everybody has realized that they should be subscribing to that and watching your videos. Let's get on to the topics that this podcast, I guess, is based on, and that's travel and beer. Yes. So, Dustin, let's uh, get into your travel style. You had mentioned before that you're you're maybe going to take some upper class flights to Europe because you want to burn some points because you can't take your kids. So we got a couple of, of hints at it. But what what is your typical style? Do you travel solo as a couple with your family, frugal, splurging, some of each? Um, it's a little bit of each. So mostly it's family travel. I love traveling with my wife and my kids. It's great. You know, we haven't traveled with both kids because of 2020. But when my son was younger, he was great. This year it's probably going to be more, I don't say solo travel, but I'll be going with some buddies of mine. My wife is going down to Florida in a couple of months. So group slash family, for the most part, we're frugal travelers. We travel and coach. It just works better for us with the occasional splurge. I think I've made, maybe had flown business class three times in my life, and that's plenty. Um, I don't really need to. I'm a guy that can fit in your carry-on luggage with ease. So, it, I mean, coach is perfectly fine. I have enough leg room. Like, I almost feel like I need a a phone book underneath me to make sure my feet still, you know, they don't even need a phone book to fit for my feet to swing. Yeah. You have the benefit of being slightly smaller than Derek and I are. I am five foot five, a hundred and I'm a big 145 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Only a foot taller over here. So yeah, I don't, I don't have those same sentiments about economy. <laughs> I mean, I could probably purchase a children's seat if they offered it. Cause I would fit just fine. There's been so many flights I've wanted to be five feet, five inches, and it's just, you know, it's not going to happen unless I cut myself off somewhere about halfway down past my knees. And that's a huge example of how advice, you can't ever say this is the way everyone should do it. In finance, in credit cards, in travel, you just, you can't say it because it's completely different for each person. And I actually called someone out on Instagram today because they said you should never get X credit card. And I was like, well, most of the time you shouldn't. But if in these specific situations, this would be a good idea. And I said, you don't like never make a generalized. This is the way it is because people do things differently. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love to hate comments where like you should only be redeeming for business class travel. If you love business class travel, there's nothing wrong with that. But to shame people or tell them you're traveling wrong I personally don't think there's a wrong way to travel. If you're happy, I don't care if you fly Spirit Airlines or Frontier. If it gets you somewhere new or just somewhere you want to be at the price you can do it, do it. There's nothing 
there's no right or wrong way to use your points. Don't burn them for a toaster. That, that might actually be a wrong way. But like, there's no wrong way to use them really for travel. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. And like you said, with your points, if you're going in economy and you're traveling with, you still have young enough that they can be on the lap, but soon you're going to be booking for four people instead of just one or two. And the economy becomes a lot cheaper than business or first class going to, to different locations. So, And they're shorter than I am. So why do they get a big throne seat if I can barely fit in a big throne seat? Yeah, absolutely. The kids can stay in the back the whole time. That's right. Someone else can watch them. Though my kids do love flying business class. I'm sure. I mean, it is a nice experience. I can't lie. It is nice to have the the lay flat seat, to have them serve you all the great food and whatnot. But it's more like a, it's more like a, just a, a present to yourself every once in a while. Like if you, if you're a solo traveler or just couples with no kids and you have to spend, maybe you can do it. But as a whole with a family of three going on four seats, I'm not burning that many points for one trip. That's a year's worth of travel for me. Yeah, it's definitely becomes, as you get a large family, it definitely becomes an aspirational trip or a special occasion, a birthday or an anniversary or something. You can't, you know, especially if you do more than one or two big trips a year, it's going to be really tough to put family of four in business over to Europe. Totally, especially now that they can uh, tax you when you manufacture spend. No, that's taxes on top of that, and it's not <laughs> worth it. Yeah, yeah. And Dustin alluded to something there that I'm sure he's has a video or will be having a video about, and uh, Derek and I will definitely cover it in the next uh, Miles and Points with Pints episode. But uh, some new a, a new court case uh, came down about the manufactured spending profits and whether they're taxable or not. So be on the lookout for that coming out from all of us here. Yes. You mentioned before that you started blogging, you thought back in 2015 about miles and points and travel. When did you start using miles and points and when did you start traveling uh, more seriously because you could do it for less? So I actually started getting into points and miles when I was actually looking for a honeymoon flight for my wife and I. We, we did the beach thing in Jamaica. We probably wouldn't do it again now if we had to redo our honeymoon. But I was like, there just has to be a better way to travel. Like, there's no way that people actually pay full price for this. Like, this is crazy. So someone across a couple blogs at the time, like, oh, you can do this. It almost seemed like a scam. That's what always people tell me. It's a scam. There's no way. Um, but I ended up getting like the Chase Sapphire preferred at first. And I paid like 15 bucks for my wife and I to fly round trip, both of us to Jamaica. Was it the best redemption? No, I realized that in retrospect, but I only paid 15 bucks. It was a win-win. And after that, I started digging deeper into this game. And then our first big redemption was over to Budapest and we went to Prague. And from then, that was the moment I was hooked. The second I went to Budapest, I went, I need to see the rest of the world and I need to see it today. <laughs> so... It was that moment. You could have that reaction, like looking on, if you did the river cruise there and looking out over the the city hall and just amazing sights to see in in Budapest and Prague both. So I can see why you would want to see the rest of the world immediately. It's funny because my wife and I, we tell us a story, we talk about this, that once we got off the flight in Budapest, we got into an Uber. Person didn't speak English. I don't speak Hungarian. And so there's this language barrier, and this is our first time really out of the country. Jamaica, you're on a resort, so it's it didn't feel authentic. It was such an, uh, a culture shock 
to as a whole. But as we went through the entire process, if you will, travel, we loved it. I could see how that could be scary for people. I really do. But for me, that ability to kind of figure it out was so worth it. And it just was like, I want more of that. It's almost like, to me, it was almost like a drug. Like that there, really, I was like, we need to figure out how we can do this more often because this is awesome. I think you just described it perfectly for those of us that are, you know, quote unquote, addicted to travel. I do think the the sense of being out of your element while loving your experience and being immersed in the local culture almost is a drug. And I'm sure it's, you know, it's probably like dopamine. Uh, it, it really makes our brains react in, in strange ways, and we really do start to crave it and become addicted to that feeling. I, I'll never forget my first international trip, as you mentioned, and this overwhelming sense of, I have to do this again. I have to do it more frequently. Totally. And how far have you gotten in that quest to see the rest of the world all at once? I think I've maybe seen 23 or 25 countries. Um, so when my wife and I were going through IVF, a lot of the world was shut off due to potential risk of Zika, Southeast, Southeast Asia, the Caribbean area, um, South America, a lot of the world was shut off. So we spent a lot of time in Europe, loved it. We've even considered maybe someday moving to Europe, but now that we're done having kids, that world now opens up to us and there's nothing wrong with just doing just European travel. I mean, I don't want to say just as a, as a negative, there's a lot to see in Europe and you could spend an entire lifetime traveling Europe and never see it all. We had to really adjust where we potentially wanted to go due to those uh, risks when we were trying to have kids. And tell us during your travels, what's the one country that you enjoyed the most? And is there any country you and your wife do not want to travel back to? I don't think I can't. Oh, that's such a hard question. Cause as far as every, every country had something great about them. Iceland had, fantastic and amazing landscapes when you're going through it. Budapest had great food and amazing architecture. Like there was just everything had something about it. So there maybe have been some places I didn't like as much as others. There would be all of the places I felt I would return to at some point. I've never been to a place from like, that was awful. I would say probably one of my least favorite though would be Prague. I thought Prague was a little overrated um, as a whole, but it was still great. I mean, it was such a fantastic place in its own way, but it it didn't match to what I was expecting after Budapest. It was just like, oh, this is such a letdown. And I did those two cities in the opposite order, and I felt that Prague was kind of, I equated it to like the Disney version of a Europe, European city. It was yeah. very, everything was polished and the food carts were right where they were supposed to be and this and that. And then I went to Budapest and it was, there was some dirtier, grittier parts and there was, it was kind of like a real city would be. And I actually preferred it very much over Prague. So I can see where you're coming from on that. But if I had gone to Budapest first, I think maybe I would have, I don't know what I would have thought of Prague. It was tough. I mean, Prague was great. I would totally return to all these places, but actually the way we travel, I actually don't go back to the same place twice if I don't have to, just because there's so much to see. And it's nothing against those locations. It's I only have so much time <laughs> to travel, you know, before I'm, before I'm no longer here. So I'd like to see as much as possible. So I have a couple trips I'm hoping to get to later this year, you know, however travel lays itself out. But all of it's been great in its own way. I, I don't think I've ever been to a place where I'm like, I truly hate it. 
you know what? I'll take that back. I didn't really care for San Francisco. That that's domestic, but I did not care for San Francisco. That's interesting. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say that about San Francisco. I've only been there. I I think I. I don't know. I must have spent a night or two there at some point, or I've just been there on some long layovers and it's the weather has just been awful every time I've been there, but I found neat things to do and I can't possibly hate a city that has such good sourdough bread. I, you know, I might get some hate for this one and that's okay. It has been probably the only city I have truly felt unsafe in. Well, the good thing about San Francisco, if there's nothing else, it's only 50, it's only 50 minutes from Napa. So this is true. It, it, this I mean, is true. That's a pre- that's a pretty good win in my book. But, that's a plus one. Yeah. All, all kidding aside, I love the uh, Latin food in San Francisco in the Mission District. It's wonderful. Has a really really good beer scene. Uh, San Francisco Beer Week is phenomenal. You find a lot of Russian River Brewing Company beer during that time, and uh, and then the high end dining scene in addition to the Mission District uh, Mexican food and things, the high-end dining scene in San Francisco is wonderful. So I love it. But I, at the same time, I 100% understand where you're coming from. We've had a few interesting experiences, let's say, in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. There were quite a few there. But those make great stories later on. Those they make do. great stories. Yeah, they do. And they're always more fun after a beer or two. Absolutely. It sounds like maybe we need to get Dustin and Derek to travel to San Francisco together and then Derek can show Dustin all the good parts and maybe they can get scared together. Derek, I'll protect you. I know you're six five, I'm five five, but don't worry, I'll protect you. <laughs> we'll be fine and then we can drive to Napa and we'll both be happy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So you mentioned you have a couple of trips that you're hoping to take this year, or do you have anything booked or you just have things on the horizon that you wanna book? I have nothing booked for myself as of yet. I, I said earlier, my wife is going, I think uh, she's going to Disney at the end of April. Um, her and her entire f- family of people who are going are all vaccinated. So they, it feels safe for all of us for them to travel. Um, I'll be vaccinated soon. So I'll feel comfortable traveling. I'm hoping I've talked with my wife about this. I'd like to get over to Egypt if possible. And then uh, possibly South America later this year. So I, I really, I, We've been to Europe so many times already to expand out again to some other country or other continent. So South America is high up on my list to visit in 2021. So it's the year of expansion for you. You're expanding the YouTube channel. You're expanding the continents you travel to, expanding all sorts of fun stuff. That is a great way to put it, the year of expansion. So let's talk about, uh, in addition to travel, beer. Because Yes. I mean, we started out the show talking about the beers we're drinking and none of us were drinking a, a Miller Lite. We were all drinking some pretty serious craft beers. We were drinking grown person beer. Grown person beer, yes. Yes. Uh, though I don't want to say that. There's a place for Miller Lite and there's a place for all those. I, I like to... Call rehydration. Trash can. Trash can. <laughs> or, I'm, I'm sorry, let, let me be a, a more... Um, better steward of the environment in a recycling bin after being dumped down the drain. There we go. You know, this is going to be our chase thing. Someday later on when Miller looks to sponsor us, they're going to find this episode and they're going to be like, nope, nope, nope. You have to remove that. And we're going to. Derek says, no, no, we want a real beer to sponsor this. Okay. We don't want, we don't need that. Yeah. See, I'm not a sellout. Like apparently Jeff is. (laughs) Well, Jeff does the editing. So maybe you never know. know. And Derek disappears. There we go. You heard it here first. 
and add tomorrow. <laughs> Looking for a new co-host for the My Open Clients podcast. That also loves Miller Lite. Yes. <laughs> so you'll find a college kid. Okay, back back on top. <laughs> yes. Where, um, are, are there any places that you've traveled that you've just been knocked out by the beer? You've talked about your your hometown having some great beer. Anywhere that you've been that you've just been like, wow, I, this is somewhere that should be a beer destination. I thought Germany had great beer. Germany had some great beer. I really did enjoy the beer in Prague. Prague, or I'm sorry, in the Czech as a whole, because even Brno was there. Um, it was super light. Super, it had really good flavor, and it was really cheap as well, which is always great. But anywhere I go, I always make it a point to try local beer. I don't want Guinness when I'm in you know, uh, Iceland or Norway. Uh, but everywhere I've been, I can't – they've all been really good. But I would definitely say ones that stand out to me are definitely Germany and, and, and the Czech. I like how when you first said that, you presented Germany as if it was going to be this shocking revelation that none of us have been to. Like, no, no. I, I thought Hawaii there – were, there were a couple of craft brews in Hawaii that had some good beer as well when I was in Hawaii. I was actually really pleasantly surprised at how good it was there. Yeah, I mean, Kona is gigantic at this point, but they, they make some good beers that I'm always happy to drink whenever oh, I yeah. In the bucket of ice at a barbecue or anywhere, if it's on tap, if I'm somewhere warm, I'll absolutely pick up one of their beers. Oh, totally. Maui Brewing is another good one. We visited them uh, when we visited Maui a few years ago. There's one on Kauai also that we enjoyed summer of 19, but I don't, I don't recall the name of, of that brewing company. Good beer, though. You're right. Hawaii's got a up and coming um, beer scene. Yeah, I was I was actually really shocked. I wasn't expecting. If you live in Hawaii, I'm sorry, but I really wasn't expecting a whole lot from the beer scene when I was there. But it had great flavor, great selection, and just it was overall really good. It's amazing the places that you wouldn't expect it that were starting to find craft beer, and they we had. Um, Eric Coleman has been on the podcast a couple of times now, but he some of the things he's doing is consulting with people who want to open breweries. And he mentioned, I think one he's working with is in the Philippines and one is he's working in a variety of different places. And his basic requirements are, can you get grain? Do you have clean water? And can you get equipment shipped to you? So, I mean, there's places that are going to be popping up these breweries because people love beer and love the idea of, of brewing beer. And it's going to be great as we travel for the next few years, finding places and just seeing this amazing, tiny little brewery putting out great beers. Oh, yeah, totally. That's always one thing. I've, I feel like I save money traveling with my points and miles. I'm like, I, I'm going to buy myself a couple extra beer on this trip just because I can. <laughs> yeah, and you can trade miles for beer because you're saving money. You can trade... Um, the other kind of miles, if you go for a run, I fully believe you can trade that for a beer. Anytime you work out, you can trade that for a beer. If you have a Peloton, hop on that. You can trade that for a beer. It's, it's all about trading in the, the trading economy for your for your clients. <laughs> yep, totally. Is there anywhere that is at the top of your list, if specific to a beer destination that you've heard about that you desperately want to travel to just to hit all the micro breweries or the big breweries or anything like that? No, not in particular. I, I have actually found that I'm, I look forward to the places that maybe I haven't been to with some sort of craft brew that's going to surprise me. I feel like there's always some little brewery somewhere that has something that is great. For example, there's, um, there's a brewery here in Bangor called Blank Canvas. It's a guy, runs his shop, 
doesn't have a whole, he has a selection, I think, of like four or five beers on tap. They make some creative things. Not everything's a hit, don't get me wrong, but some of the stuff is really good. And I think that is where really like where the, the gems are at. It's every location has some sort of person looking to try something different. And for me, it's trying to find those locations in a destination. Because even in Germany, there's microbrews in Germany that are really, really good. So, and it's, to me, I want to stay away from the big, the big name beers. I can get those at home. I can get Guinness here. I, you know I mean? I can get a lot of stuff here. So I want to try those places where I'm like, this could be good or it could be bad. I mean, I've had plenty of bad beer. I had this one watermelon beer one time. It was awful. But you know what? I appreciate them at least trying it. Yeah, and I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, or I, I mentioned it somewhere, that I, when I was in France, I went into a, a Belgian beer bar, and the guy asked me what I wanted, and I said, I want something that doesn't get exported to the U.S. And he said, what? And I said, I don't want a beer that I can get at my giant beer store back home. I want something that I can only get here or in Belgium. Totally. I agree 100%. Like, if I can get it home, I don't want it. Yeah, he found several options for me. And so I, I'm right there with you, finding those local gems and the places that you can only get when you're there. And it makes me super excited to hear about the ones that are in Bangor because as people have been listening to the show for a while, they know that uh, Derek and I are planning a trip up to Portland. And at the beginning of that trip, I'm going to pop up there and meet up with you for dinner and hopefully a quick uh, brew tour of the Bangor area. Oh, yeah. A few days of hiking in Acadia. So. I'll see what it's like up in that central part of Maine. I've never been up there, so but I'm excited, very excited about uh, these beers that you keep showing off whenever we talk and hearing about them and seeing what I can find up there. By the time you leave, I'll take you to a place that I go to that I've started going to more recently to get some of my local brews, and you're going to be like, load up your car full of it. There's a lot of good places where you're just like, there's like two places I go to typically where they have a lot of good craft brew, and I've never been disappointed. Never that'll work out because we will have a rental car so we can fill the trunk of that because we only travel with carry-ons. And then you'll come see me. Perfect. That's yeah. right. I'll put it like in the, the spare tire panel underneath there so Derek doesn't know I have it. <laughs> and then we're flying Southwest home so I can Home free check, check bags. Yeah, for Egypt. Sorry, Derek. Dustin had to cancel and we didn't go to any breweries. I'm yeah. really sorry. We just did a lot of hiking. No, I don't know why the back of the car is riding low like that. It must be bad spring. No, I, I think when you I think you will actually be pleasantly surprised. There are a lot of good places up here. I know like in Portland you have like Sea Dog. And Sea Dog's great. We actually have a Sea Dog up here in Bangor. But there's a lot of good small breweries you're gonna walk into that have a great beer selection. You're gonna be like, I'm gonna try that. And I can't say I've truly ever been disappointed as a whole. Good and bad, you know, every once in a while. But like, as a whole, you're going to be like, Bangor, you might actually consider that a beer town. Well, my whole goal with that is to make Derek as jealous as possible and make him wish that he had come in a couple of days earlier and gone up with us. We'll make sure to send him pictures. (sighs) Yeah, it's going to be a rough week. You know, sitting at home, actually working and... You two guys up there in Bangor trying these awesome beers and making me jealous. So tough yeah. life, tough life. It will be. It'll be a rough week for me too. It'll be hard to drink a bunch of beer and then get out there and see uh-huh. nature in the national park. Uh-huh. And oof, I'll get through it though. I'll try my best. <sighs> He's already words. laying it on thick, isn't he? <laughs> it's only gonna get worse. <laughs>
So Dustin, as we close up here, uh, give us a quick rundown of where people can find you online. We mentioned the YouTube channel, but where I give, tell us how to find that, tell us how to find you anywhere else you exist in the online world. In the online world, primarily you can find me on YouTube, Waller's Wallets, where you're going to find me. Um, I post right now typically two to three times a week. Uh, Twitter, I'm, I think I'm really relatively active on Twitter, at Waller's Wallet. Instagram, at Waller's Wallet. I have a Facebook group. You guessed it, at Waller's Wallet. So I'm pretty active in all these. I do respond to a lot of my comments, most of my comments, probably 98% of them, maybe not so much trolls. But, you know, you reach out to me, I'm pretty good about getting back to people. And it's almost like you were paying attention when they went over business branding and you snagged up that same name on all the platforms. So good job to you there. We'll get all that linked up in the show notes. And as always, it was great to have you here. It's a, a wonderful conversation every time we talk to you. If you're interested in this type of content, definitely follow Dustin on a variety of platforms, but primarily his YouTube channel. Dustin, thank you for making the time to be with us tonight. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Dustin as we did talking to him. When it comes to teaching people about credit cards, travel rewards, and finance, Dustin is one of the best. If you enjoy learning by seeing and hearing rather than reading, you should definitely go subscribe to Waller's Wallet on YouTube. If you happen to be up in Maine, he's a pretty good guy to grab a beer with, too. All of the important points and links for things that we talked about during our conversation will be in the show notes so you can pick up anything you miss the first time through. The easiest place to find those notes is at milesandpints.com. As always, thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy the show too, and please take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. In between episodes, you can get more travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash milesandpints. And that's all we have for this episode. Until next time, we hope you'll find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of fun.
Sound.